It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. From Bloomberg News and iHeartRadio, it's The Big Take. I'm Wes Kosova. Today, the issues that will decide who wins the White House in 2024. Pretty much the moment Joe Biden made it official that he is indeed running for a second term, the White House and the rest of Washington, not to mention a certain ex-president down in Florida, immediately switched into full campaign mode. Now we've just got to keep it going. Finish the job. We just remember who we are. We are the United States of America. There's nothing, nothing, nothing beyond our capacity. Nothing. If we work together. To win the election, Biden or his Republican opponent, whether it's Donald Trump again, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, or someone else, will likely need to peel away at least some voters from the other side. That, of course, is no easy task, but as dug in as most people are for one party or the other these days, there are quite a few big issues at stake this time around that have the potential to shake some people loose. Issues like abortion. Politically, that's turned out to be something of a poison chalice. Immigration. The Republican candidate will certainly make immigration a top issue. They've used it for years as a cudgel against Joe Biden. And LGBTQ plus rights. The line that got the biggest standing ovation from the room, and this surprised me, it got to the whole idea of gender identity and kids, and the room went nuts. That's Bloomberg's Joshua Green, Nancy Cook, and Jordan Fabian. They, too, are gearing up for the campaign, and they're sorting through these top-of-mind issues that will dominate the next election. Nancy, at the moment, it looks like either Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis will be the Republican nominee for president next year, although, of course, that could certainly change. It's pretty early, and both of them are making the case why they should get to go up against Joe Biden. But let's start with Biden himself, because right now the attention is on him after his big announcement, and he has to make the case to voters why they should give him a second term. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of excitement about Biden himself, even from Democrats. I think what's motivating Democrats at this point is not wanting to see Trump, you know, not wanting to see a Ron DeSantis figure there. They think Biden's fine. I don't think that they feel like he necessarily deserves a second term. And also there's huge concerns about his age. He just turned 80. And I feel like people are fairly worried about that. And here's what President Biden recently had to say about that. With regard to age, uh, I can't even say, I guess how old I am. I can't even say the number. It doesn't, it doesn't register with me. And uh, But the only thing I can say is that um, one of the things that people are going to find out, they're going to see a race, 
and they're going to judge whether or not I have it or don't have it. I respect them taking a hard look at it. I take a hard look at it as well. I took a hard look at it before I decided to run. And, uh, and I feel good. I feel excited about the prospects. And I think we're on the verge of really turning the corner in a way we haven't in a long time. But he really has no Democratic challenger, so that's who it's going to be on the Democratic side. Jordan, why aren't people excited about Biden? He's actually done quite a lot. Like, he's done a lot of the things that he promised he was going to do and that people voted for him to do. He did accomplish a lot in his first two years in office, arguably even more than Barack Obama did in his first two years. But the fact remains, and Nancy pointed this out, that age remains a huge concern, not only for Biden's physical health and well-being and his ability to serve a full eight years in the White House, but there's an appetite among Democratic activists as well who I've spoken to. They just want a generation of new leadership, not even just for 2024, but going forward. There are concerns about the viability of figures on the bench to become the party standard bearer and beat back either Donald Trump or Trump-like figures in the Republican Party who are trying to pull the country in a far-right direction. I think the other big factor is that Americans, when you look at polls, still feel like uh, the economy is headed in a bad direction, inflation is historically high, whether it's filling up your car or buying groceries. Prices are frustratingly more than it feels like they should be than it was pre-pandemic. And Biden is the president who has presided over all of that. Things have gotten somewhat better, but they haven't gotten a whole lot better. And so I think that there's an undercurrent of dissatisfaction. And you see that reflected everywhere from his overall approval rating, which hit an all-time low in the most recent Gallup poll of 37 percent, to just basic questions about right track, wrong track, and the direction of the economy, which historically have been a pretty good indicator of a president's chances at re-election. I think the best thing that Biden has going for him is the likelihood that he's probably going to wind up running against a Republican who may be even more unpopular with the public than he is, and that'll be perhaps a saving grace. I also think, just to add to that, this White House, one of the criticisms that I've heard about them is that they're just really bad at selling President Biden's accomplishments. He has done a ton of things. There's the infrastructure package, the chips bill. We held NATO together when Russia invaded Ukraine. Like, he has a really long list of accomplishments. There was a Washington Post poll this fall, which I thought was so stunning, that said over 60% of Americans could not name a single accomplishment from the Biden agenda. And I think that just shows that, you know, Americans are not really sort of tuned into what he's doing. And that's partly a function of the media environment has changed after Trump. You know, Americans are not sort of following politics as closely as they were when Trump was in the White House and tweeting everything out all the time. And I think some people like that. But the other problem is, is this White House has not done a great job of selling the American people on what they've done. And that will be a challenge for them as they campaign. It's interesting because one of Biden's famous complaints about Barack Obama was that Obama thought everyone should just know how good he is and everything that he's done, and he didn't like to sell it. And Biden, as vice president, was always pushing Obama, like, out your accomplishments. Why hasn't Biden been able to do that? It's not for lack of trying. They've done a ton of events 
and I've covered a lot of them where they're talking about all of the legislation that Nancy just mentioned. And he's also traveled to a lot of states where they're opening new factories or new plants to make semiconductors. And he's he's taking credit for it. But the problem is that Biden's message, just for whatever reason, whether it's the media environment or Biden as a person, doesn't seem to break through with the public. And so whatever he's putting out there, it's not being absorbed. But they need to confront that problem and fix it so that not only can they set up a contrast with the Republican candidate, but they can actually have a positive message to sell to the public to convince them that he deserves four more years in the White House. Is this partly, Josh, where Republicans go with the gut? Like if you look at Donald Trump, he goes after people's grievances, their anger. He gives them someone to blame, whereas Democrats want to talk about the details of their policies and people just kind of tune out. I think that's part of it. I mean, I've always thought, and I don't really have poll numbers to back this up, that Democrats and independents really elected Joe Biden for one reason, and that was to get rid of Donald Trump. He sort of accomplished that on election night, and everything after that isn't really as interesting. I mean, the last election, as the next one may be, was really a referendum on Donald Trump. But what you see in politics a lot these days, and this is reflected in polling, is that it's negative politics that drive rather than positive. So if you look at poll numbers of Democratic voters in 2020 and say, did you cast your vote for Joe Biden or against Donald Trump? Most Democrats were voting against Donald Trump. So that, I think, makes it a little bit harder for Biden to kind of emerge as this captivating, charismatic figure who can sell his accomplishments and get people to sit up and pay attention. And one point I want to build off that is if you look at Biden's video announcement for his re-election campaign, he doesn't talk too much about his accomplishments. He talks much more about the threat posed by Donald Trump. It opens with imagery from January 6th, includes images of Marjorie Taylor Greene and Ron DeSantis, other Trump acolytes. And he's saying that, you know, I ran for the first time to fight the battle for the soul of the nation, and it's not yet complete. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we're in a battle for the soul of America, and we still are. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead, we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. And so Joe Biden, the point is, might not need to be this superstar who everyone loves and adores. He might just need to be, in his words, not better than the almighty, but better than the alternative. I, I think that's exactly right. Also, and he, and he knows what he's selling. What he's selling is not Joe Biden is a neat guy. It, he's selling the idea that Donald Trump back in the White House would be an absolute disaster for the country. And in fairness, that probably is his best argument. Nancy, is that enough? Or does he need to do what he hasn't done so far, which is to remind people what he's already done and then lay out a plan for what he will do if he gets in a second time. I think that as long as the economy does not dip into a recession, him sort of laying out the perils of Donald Trump and, you know, what could happen will probably be enough and that's what they'll stick to. You know, you have to remember the midterms were so surprising because inflation was so high all fall. You know, a lot of people thought the Democrats were going to get clobbered and they managed to hang on to the Senate the Republicans won the House, but by very few seats. And really, the conditions were very favorable for the Republicans to just do so well politically. But I feel like the Democrats did such a good job firing people up about abortion, casting all of those decisions as like very extreme positions on the part of the Republican Party. 
And uh, it really worked to their advantage. And they're going to run that same playbook in 2024, you know, really running on Republicans being extreme, wanting to cut Social Security and Medicare, wanting to lower taxes on the wealthy. They're going to talk a ton about, you know, abortion restrictions. That's going to be a huge message for Democrats because it really has fired up female voters, independent suburban women. These are people Joe Biden needs to win. And so we're going to see that midterm playbook happen again in 2024. We're already seeing it. Republicans fought for years to restrict abortion. And now that it's happened, it turns out it might not be the winning issue they hoped it would be. Yeah, I mean, politically, that's turned out to be something of a poison chalice. I mean, you look at the recent election in Wisconsin, and it was shockingly a blowout for Democrats in a very 50-50 state, driven mainly, it seems like, by backlash against the abortion decision. And I think the reason that's so troubling to Republicans politically is that this is something that's now going to play out in all 50 states because of the Supreme Court decision. I think for Democrats and Biden, that's going to be politically especially advantageous if Ron DeSantis turns out to be the Republican nominee because he recently signed a six-week abortion ban in Florida that goes very much against public opinion and is the sort of issue that Democrats and Biden can really focus on to rally not just Democrats but also independents and even some of the suburban Republicans who've been so instrumental in the last few election cycles. Voters do not want a total ban. The majority of voters, that is not something that is popular with them. I saw this on the campaign trail in New Hampshire recently where Republican Senator Tim Scott, who is planning to run for president, really spent three days going back and forth on whether or not he supported a federal abortion ban. And over the course of those three days, as he went to Iowa, New Hampshire, and then South Carolina, he gave increasingly different answers based on pressure he was getting from local voters, anti-abortion advocates. And so it's just a sort of distilled to me how tough it is going to be for all of the Republican candidates to deal with this issue. What's remarkable to me is that Republicans just seem like the dog that finally caught the car on this issue. Like, they had no plan to sort of make the case to the public why restrictions on abortion are good. That would appeal to mainstream voters, not just their right-wing base who has long supported this. And they haven't figured it out. And what Nancy was just describing seems to indicate they're going to turtle on this issue. We're seeing it with Donald Trump, too, where he's refusing to take a position at all, essentially, on abortion rights, which is untenable if he becomes the nominee. Democrats and Joe Biden will bash him over the head with that if he continues to do that. And until they figure out a message, they're going to continue to get hit by this by Democrats quite effectively. After the break, Republican politicians lean into the culture wars. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. Jordan, another big question on the hit parade of issues is the U.S. Supreme Court. Obviously, Trump's ability to solidify the conservative majority on the court has had far-reaching effects, some of which we're talking about here today. How big do you think that the question of the next president being able to appoint a Supreme Court justice and all these other federal judgeships 
is going to be in the minds of voters. For years, if not decades, this was a big motivating issue for Republican voters and Republican candidates. Democrats kind of had it on the back burner. So this is something that the Dobbs decision that overturned the national right to an abortion is going to crystallize and for Democratic voters in this election cycle. For all the reasons you mentioned, that the next president will likely pick one, if not more, Supreme Court justices. And so this ties directly into the abortion discussion we've been having so far. There are gun cases that could come before the Supreme Court. That's an issue that Democratic candidates have highlighted, and also voting rights. And so the Supreme Court is really an extension of all those policy issues we just talked about. And right now, Democrats are using those as wedge issues against Republicans. So I would expect that it's going to be a big motivating issue for Democrats. Now that Republicans got their majority on the Supreme Court, it seems like less of a motivating factor for those voters. We talked a bit about the economy. How much do you think questions of inequality or this idea that working people are getting a bad deal because of big corporations and banks and that kind of populist message that Trump ran on, that Biden also ran on in different ways? How much do you think that resonates? I think that is just sort of baked into this campaign, especially if it's a Biden-Trump rematch. Like, that seems to be the baseline that they're running on. So I'm not sure they're winning over voters one way or another. I think that the way that Biden is going to attack that message in 2024 is related to his accomplishments. And I think that Democrats are going to go after sort of working class voters by saying, look, one of the results of the infrastructure bill or the CHIPS Act are all of these jobs that pay really well, that are like high-skilled manufacturing jobs, and you don't need a college degree for them. And I think that, you know, a big part of that message with that agenda is just about like creating jobs for good people who feel like they've been left behind, whereas Trump's message to those people is much more like grievance-based, whereas I think Joe Biden's message is going to be more like, here's a tangible thing like a job or a factory in your hometown. Biden himself is potentially quite vulnerable to an economic populist attack from Trump, from DeSantis, really on two fronts. One is that if you're talking from the standpoint of working class grievance, the matter of inflation and rising prices and kind of the difficulty that that puts on people in their day-to-day lives is still something that's very real and present. It's possible that future interest rate rises could help bring inflation down and that maybe this will have settled by the time 2024 comes around. But it's also possible that the economy could be in a recession, and that would be another real vulnerability that Donald Trump or DeSantis could attack. I mean, Trump could say, you know, rightfully, I presided over an era of growing jobs, and if it hadn't been for this nasty coronavirus, you know, I I made America great, I can do it again. I do think it could potentially be a problem for Biden because really the state of the economy, I think, is his biggest vulnerability at this point, regardless of who he winds up running against. Jordan immigration is another issue that animates the candidates from both parties, but in pretty different ways. Republicans have whipped up fear and resentment against immigrants, people coming up from the southern border from Mexico and Central America. How effective will that message be this time around? The Republican candidate will certainly make immigration a top issue. They've used it for years as a cudgel against Joe Biden. If you watch Fox News for even five minutes, a segment on the border and border crossings will definitely appear. Voters, if you look at polls, don't approve of Biden's handling of the border. I believe it's an issue where it's actually contributed to the ceiling on Donald Trump's support because in the way that he talks about immigration and immigrants. 
We heard him call Mexicans rapists and criminals when he first ran for office in 2016, and he's continued to rail against immigrants themselves and also just people of color generally in this country throughout his four years in office. And afterwards, it's not a popular message with the center of this country that's going to decide this election. And so I don't think Republicans have, while they may have hurt Joe Biden's standing, they haven't found a way to talk about it that, frankly, doesn't sound racist and is not going to alienate a large portion of the voters. Another cultural grievance issue that Republicans have really latched on to is anti-LGBTQ legislation. We're seeing a lot of red states having to do with books in schools and gender-affirming care for minors and even things like book readings by drag performers. Donald Trump has latched onto this in a big way. How much do you think that this is going to play into the campaign? I think on the Republican side, it's going to play into the campaign a huge amount. Going back to a recent trip I took to New Hampshire, I saw Ron DeSantis speak at a GOP fundraising dinner there. The line that got the biggest standing ovation from the room, and this surprised me, was when he said, in Florida, no one has the right to tell a second grade girl that she actually belongs in a boy's body. It got to the whole idea of gender identity and kids, and the room went nuts. And I really feel like on the campaign trail, this whole idea of transgender education, particularly with children and how that is being spoken about in schools, has really turned into a lightning rod for voters, and Republican politicians are really exploiting it. It's sort of the way that we used to hear Republicans do fear-mongering about uh, same-sex marriage or things now that are just like very culturally acceptable by the majority of people. And this is sort of the next frontier. And it is resonating like much more with Republican voters than I had thought. Nancy, Josh, and Jordan give us their early 2024 predictions after the break. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. We keep talking about Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Who does Joe Biden want to run against and who doesn't he want to run against? I don't think there's any question but that he would prefer to run against Donald Trump. He's run against him once. He's beaten him. Trump seems to have a cap, a ceiling on his support of somewhere around, you know, 43, 44 percent of America. He's done nothing at all to, to kind of broaden his appeal and reach out to independent voters. And of course, he's been indicted once and maybe several more times by the time we actually get to Election Day. So I think that would be the, the easier lift for Biden. The White House and, and Biden's political operation has had Trump on their mind this whole time as the person who they like to run against. The thing they point to is the 2020 campaign when they beat him. There's a proven track record against beating him. Ron DeSantis, you know, the flip side of that is you know, he's 
someone who's in his 40s, who would certainly come across as younger than President Biden, is pretty nimble on his feet and has some, these like quick attack lines that might not contrast well with Biden on a debate stage. And also, it's just he's more of an unknown entity to the White House on the national stage. And so they know what they're getting in Donald Trump. They don't know how to necessarily do that yet against Ron DeSantis. They're certainly painting him as this extremist. And here is Governor Ron DeSantis talking to a crowd at Liberty University. We have embraced freedom. We have maintained law and order. We have protected the rights of parents. We have elevated the importance of family and promoted a culture of life. We have respected our taxpayers and we have rejected woke ideology. They'll be certain to highlight the six-week abortion ban that he signed into law, as well as other things like this feud that he's having with Disney. But there's not game tape, so to say, on Ron DeSantis like they have on Donald Trump. And I would also just add to that, you know, Democrats feel like this will actually be the fourth time that they've run against Trump because they ran against like his policies, you know, in 2018 in the midterms. They ran against him in the 2020 presidential election. Biden took back the White House. And then they ran against a bunch of Trump-backed candidates in 2022 in the midterms. And they kept control of the Senate in an election where many people thought they would not. So they just feel like, you know, Trump keeps coming back and they keep beating him. And they just feel really almost giddy about the prospect of potentially running against him again. I think the biggest vulnerability for Biden are just ordinary political fundamentals. We, as a country and as a media class and as a political class, have become so obsessed with seeing everything through the lens of Donald Trump that if you stop and remove Trump from the equation for a second, any president who had a 37% approval rating, who had soaring inflation, who had right track, wrong track numbers as negative as they are, who had such big concerns about his own candidacy. Even most Democrats would prefer a younger candidate than Joe Biden. If you just step back and look at those basic fundamentals, those are real concerns that Americans have. And yes, it's possible and maybe even likely that if Trump were the candidate, he would do outrageous things and unify Democrats and independents strongly enough to give Biden a second term. But there's certainly no guarantee of that. And I think people tend to gloss over the level of unhappiness in the country during Joe Biden's presidency. And I think that that's got to be a big warning sign that even people in the White House, I don't think, are paying a great deal of attention to. Another thing running through this campaign are all the lawsuits and investigations against Donald Trump. How big a deal do you think that's going to be? And then on the other side, you have Republicans doing investigations of Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and trying to have a sort of tit for tat there to show, well, there's scandals everywhere. Yeah, I mean, Republicans have been trying to make Hunter Biden happen for for years now, and it really just hasn't connected with the public. I mean, I think people just sort of understand the idea that President Biden, you know, has this kind of wayward son who may be up to no good, but it really isn't something that seems to have impacted Joe Biden or his presidency. As far as the Trump scandals, I think it's a much bigger deal. I mean, just since the last election, uh, he's been impeached again, he's been indicted once, and he might get indicted one or two more times. That's something I think that is more front and center for voters. There's a sort of level of exhaustion with Trump and all the baggage that he carries with him. Uh, And he's only added to that baggage with all of these scandals and lawsuits. It's hard for me to see how he expands his support beyond what it was in 2020 while he's kind of enduring all of these things. And I think that's probably the major hurdle in him making it back to the White House. 
Jordan, do you think the investigation of the classified documents that were found in Joe Biden's garage rises to the level of scrutiny that the documents over Trump did? We'll have to wait and see what the special counsel investigating that matter turns up. But Josh just said they've been trying to make Hunter Biden happen, and they haven't. Same for the classified documents. It's no doubt that there's a, it was a problem for Joe Biden. The classified documents were wrongly found at, at his home and offices. But all indications are that they were mistakenly put there, whereas there's evidence that Donald Trump intentionally tried to block federal authorities from retrieving similar kinds of documents and perhaps documents that revealed even more sensitive information from his resort in Florida. So once again, we have a problem with intensity and sort of legal peril that Donald Trump is facing that Joe Biden simply is not, and therefore it's going to be a bigger political problem for Donald Trump. Any show talking about a presidential campaign would be remiss not to ask the only question anyone really wants to know. Nancy, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. Joe Biden versus Ron DeSantis. Who wins? I think if it's Joe Biden versus Trump, I think Biden will win, but by a much narrower margin than the Democrats would be comfortable with. And I think Biden likely will win against Ron DeSantis, too. But I also think Ron DeSantis will not make it through the GOP primary. My answer is uh, very boringly similar to Nancy's. I do think Biden wins a matchup with Donald Trump uh, for all the reasons we've talked about. Ron DeSantis also is just really stumbled out of the gate in his campaign. He's not proven that he's ready for the national stage. That could certainly change, but uh, Joe Biden's been on the national stage for decades, and he knows how to run a national campaign, as he proved in 2020. And so I'll take Joe Biden also in a matchup with Ron DeSantis. Yeah, I mean, incumbent presidents just rarely lose. Donald Trump did, and if he's the one back on the ticket again, it's hard for me to imagine voters swapping out Biden for Trump. But I've been around long enough and covered politics enough to know that voters are nutty, politics is unpredictable, anything could happen, and so I wouldn't dare venture a prediction publicly. Josh, Nancy, Jordan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to us here at The Big Take. It's a daily podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartRadio. For more shows from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us questions or comments to bigtake at bloomberg.net. The supervising producer of The Big Take is Vicki Vergolina. Our senior producer is Katherine Fink. Rebecca Chasson is our producer. Our associate producer is Sam Gebauer. Hilda Garcia is our engineer. Our original music was composed by Leo Sidrin. I'm Wes Kosova. We'll be back tomorrow with another Big Take. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.